You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. Today's episode is a bit of a one-off, but we are talking about trusting God when everything around us seems just dark and overwhelming and and it's hard to do. It's just hard to get through. Um, sometimes it seems, you know, easier to say, put all your trust in God than it actually is to do. So uh, we're talking about that today and what we can do, what we're called to do, and how clinging to that faith, even when we feel like there is no hope, is so important and so necessary to get through these hard times. Good morning. Good morning. Whoa. I've got new, new headphones, headphones <laughs> and <laughs> they're working. Mine are exactly the same as yeah. usual. They're working. <laughs> so we'll have to take, it's going to take some getting used to that in a good way. Um, so we had a little bit of a, an interesting service this last, uh, last weekend. It was the Civil War days in Three Oaks and uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was was a good turnout. I think it was actually a better turnout than last year, and I thought last year was a good turnout. So this uh, event in Three Oaks, I think, continues to get better, the Mm -hmm. Civil War Days event. I think they had more going on this year. Yeah, and you can find more about that at Civil War Days in Three Oaks on Facebook. Not sponsored. So uh, with that uh, being over, uh, we have kind of, you know, for the past few weeks here, we've kind of stepped away a little bit from where we were in Luke um, and and the... the journey we were on there. Um, so because of that, we are kind of doing a, a one-off episode today uh, for yes. something to talk about. And we'll get back into into Luke this week. Um, <laughs> this week? this Sunday this we Sunday. won't. We'll have a couple missionaries oh, okay. speaking, okay. and then we'll have our our remembrance celebration communion. So the the message will be about that. So this particular one-off. Uh, is for that reason. We just since we just talked about communion a, a few podcasts ago, uh, it didn't seem um, didn't seem prudent to go back right. to that so quickly. Today. I mean, there's always more to talk about, but <laughs> there there is for sure. Um, but unless we're doing a series, right, on it, right, it didn't right. make sense to to hit that same topic again. Uh, so that in in this, it seemed like a timely issue for a lot of reasons, you know, and uh, to, for us to to take a look at. Uh, the idea of trusting God in difficult circumstances, trusting God in the dark, so to speak, when when we can't see what he's doing, why he's doing it, any hope, any way out of it, then what? How do we handle that? You make it sound real simple. <laughs> I mean, when it, when you say, you know, trusting God in the, in the dark, trusting God in the, in the difficult times, okay, simple enough, but not. Uh, well, you know why. <laughs> right. Make it sound simple, right? Because it is actually that simple. It's not easy because there's I should have had the two dictionary there's, definitions there's choice there. involved and uh, it's a struggle but it's not <laughs> faith isn't rocket science and and so sometimes we make it out to be really complicated we look for some crazy formula and you'll see you know pastors and authors and uh, people who are are trying to give you all these you know seven simple steps to perfect faith and and so on and it really isn't like that. It mm-hmm. it really is very much the cl- the cliche that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. That's one hundred percent true. It always has been. Before it was Christianity, Judaism. Before it was Judaism, was walking with God, 
prior even to the giving of the law. All the way back to Genesis, we see this intimacy with God as the key to everything. When we lost that intimacy with God, when we did our thing instead of God's thing, all of that was shattered. And that was the moment when fear and worry and stress entered the system. Until Genesis 3, in all of the universe, <laughs> you didn't see that. Because there was this, this perfect intimacy and trust with God. We got it. There was never really any option, no thought in the mind that God would not be handling anything. That everything was good. Everything was right. There was no injustice. There was no betrayal. There was no heartache. None of that stuff existed. So then when that entered, it entered because of the fact that we, in our relationship with God, had, had brought about this breach by our sinfulness, by choosing our thing instead of God's thing. And really what happened in Genesis 3 is it is a direct opposite, a, a photographic negative really of uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, which I've said lots of times maybe is the pivotal verse of Scripture. Uh, you know, you got the John 3, 16, which is encapsulating everything that's building to that. But even before Messiah arrives, even before Christ comes, and we're still pointing forward, and all the way through now, when we look back to the cross, yet forward to the return in the coming kingdom, it still comes down to this simple idea, trust God, period. He's God, I'm not. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, submit to him and he'll straighten your paths. That's really simple. Sure, it's yeah. just really difficult yeah. because of sin and because of all of the things that have happened in the world because of sin, the, the, the curse, the fall, uh, all of that leads to us having scars and being burned and, and not only having been betrayed or having been disappointed by people all the time, but actually being the ones who do the disappointing. We None of us are clean from it. Right. We all fail. We all let one another down. We let ourselves down. We make promises that we can't keep. You know, I, I, I'm going to lose weight. I'm not going to eat sweets. I'm going to exercise more. And we never, we don't do it. And so then, oh my gosh, I can't be trusted. How can anything With the be simplest trusted? of things. And, and that seems right. like maybe an overstatement. It's not. It really is a picture. Every one of these little things, it's like the self-talk that we have all day long. As we're in our heads, we're convincing ourselves of mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. So little things like not sticking to a diet or not sticking to a budget or, or, or whatever. When we make promises and we don't keep them, when we convince ourselves of, of the right and we do the wrong, it it continues to underline the fact that life is hard and dark and people can't be trusted, which then we project onto God, mm -hmm. whether we would ever consciously say it or not. And, and most Christians would never actively consciously say that. Right. Uh, but lots of other people in the world do. God can't be trusted. Look at this. Look at the problem of right. pain. Look right. at war. Look at all these different Why things. Why would God do this? Right. Why would a loving God do this? Yeah. And so that, that leaves us in this, in this spot where we trust God about as far as we trust people. And yeah. that ain't so good. Right. Um, you know, you are talking a minute ago about, about uh, Genesis. And I guess what has, has uh, confused me at times is 
You seem much quieter. It must be your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess what has uh, confused me at times is um, God knew all of that was going to happen. Right. So then you ask yourself, why even allow it? Because you think about, oh, my goodness, life would be so much easier today if that had never. I mean, and, and you know, not to point a finger at Adam and Eve, because anybody would have done anybody would have done that. Right, that's right. If they hadn't done it, I would have done it. You know. Yeah, we we have original sin right. that we inherit from them, but the reality is, without that, I've still by the time I've had a thought, I've had enough sin in my right. life to separate me from God. But forever. so why even allow it to begin with? So that, so that when then we have all mm. this horrible pain and suffering and, and darkness and and whatever just. I guess that's always confused me as to why even allow it. So I think you just really hit on the key to all of this and why why it's difficult, why it's simple, why it, it is the logical thing for us to trust God, but why it's the one thing that we just simply can't get ourselves to do. Mm-hmm. And the answer is that he doesn't need to tell us. Well. <laughs> the answer is that he's God, he's mm-hmm. sovereign, we're not. He doesn't have to explain why. By definition, what he does is good because everything we understand about good comes from him and from his character. So then when we deriving our sense of goodness and rightness from him, flip that around and seek to judge him as if God somehow has to answer to us, then we've lost the plot. We've gone completely off. But that's what we do. We all have this tendency, and that that is part of that sin nature that that is in us. But the fact of the matter is, and this is why, you know, how many times have you and I talked about these types of things, and and I go back to Job. Job's, obviously, as we all know, even if you don't know the story really well, Job's in a bad way. You know, uh, (laughs) the devil and God have a thing going on that Job doesn't know about. Everything good in Job's life, and Job had like the best life ever. Everything good in Job's life gets taken away from him. Mm-hmm. Loses his children, loses his reputation, loses his wealth, loses his, his physical health. The one thing he kept was his nagging wife who kept telling him to curse God and die. So that might have been the cool. devil's strategy. But anyway, as, as he goes through all this stuff, everything is taken away. And at first, it seems easy is the wrong word, but but his position is clear from the very beginning. As soon as the story starts and we, we get this introduction at the beginning that sets the scene and, and, and uh, we get to see what Job doesn't, we're not even into the bulk of the book yet when Job says, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is his premise. That's his foundation where he starts from. But then over time... That same thing, he never abandons that, he never leaves that. But we see in the story of Job how difficult that becomes. And it actually becomes more difficult as his friends try to comfort him. Because, mm-hmm. And if anybody's ever had a time when you ask for prayer and what you get instead is advice, mm-hmm. that that's very much what ends up happening is, you know, <laughs> we need love and prayer and, and sympathy and what we get is, well, if you do this, you know, this is what you should do. This is how you should fix your situation. And there are times for that. And, and without question, people are well-meaning and, and want to help, and that's great. So did Job's friends. They were just wrong. And they weren't wrong necessarily in what they said because 
most everything that they said was theologically sound, was in keeping with what the rest of the things that we see in the Bible. God is great. God is just. God doesn't punish people unjustly. All these kinds of things that they're saying. If you have sin, you need to repent of this sin. They were right. It just didn't apply to the situation they were in. They didn't know. Job stands firm through the whole thing. I didn't do anything. I did not sin. God knows my heart, and, and none of us are without sin, but I did not hide anything from God. I didn't harbor any pride or bitterness in my heart. Mm-hmm. And if God would just show up here, we get this whole thing sorted out because I know I didn't do anything wrong. So yes, God is all these things that you're saying, but I didn't do anything. This isn't right. This isn't fair. And I know that God is just. So in the end, God will avenge me. God will take care of this. Paraphrasing, of course. So we get to, to the end of the book. All that The whole book, like 35 plus chapters of it, is conversation between Job and his friends. This back and forth, Job, you know, talking about really it's not a whole lot of job complaining about a situation although there is some of that he does actually complain about a situation at times but he never rejects god he never turns on god he just says this is really really hard and god is going to deal with this and he's going to take care of it and you're all going to see and his friends are like job seriously if you were doing right god wouldn't be doing this to you and so since you're in this bad situation you need to understand just humble yourself before God. Just just repent. Turn from your sin and God will take this away because God, he, he does discipline his children. He does do things to bring us back, but he would never do anything that's harmful. All of which is true, by the way. We get to the end of the story and God actually does show up and he says to the friends, shut up, get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. This is my servant. And you know, God looks at Job And he almost says the same thing. He doesn't punish Job, but what he does do is then he dismisses the friends and goes on a couple of chapters of basically saying, who the heck do you think you are? Sit down, Job. Now it's my turn. I'm going to talk. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I decided how much snow was going to fall? Tell me, since you know so much, why don't you tell me all this stuff? And Job says, I am. So sorry. <laughs> I, I spoke when I didn't know what I was speaking about. I had no idea. I thought I knew. I didn't know. I had heard of you before, but now I've seen you with my eyes. I've, I've encountered you. And I should have shut up before. I'm going to shut up now. And interestingly, God never explains to him. He never says, Job, here's what I got going on you know, with the devil. The, I was working this thing out for you, with you, through you, ministering to all of, uh, all of humanity throughout eternity who will see your story and be, uh, be strengthened and encouraged and my name will be magnified and this is the point. It's the ultimate good and my ultimate glory. He doesn't ever explain that. He just says, I'm God, you're not. Sit down, shut up. That's a really big point for us. That's really hard to, to fathom, really hard to swallow sometimes. We can look at stories like Job. And that it's the same message. It's interesting to me that, that scholars believe that Job was the first book written. It was the earliest mm. recorded uh, scripture. I, I can't really speak to, to why or whether that's valid or not. But that's pretty, pretty readily um, 
accepted among among most Bible scholars, at least according to what I've read. And as we look at it, if that really is the case, that that concept in Job is kind of Proverbs three, five, and six played out right. as a foundation for everything else that happens in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God says this, and when you do your thing instead of God's thing, then you get sideways of that. Mm-hmm. And if you just accept what God is doing, trust Him, He takes care of the rest. He'll handle it. He'll make sure that it works. And we see that in Israel's history when God says, you just be still. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to do this thing. And if you'll just be still, you'll see your deliverance come. But if you're going to stress and try to do this in your own strength and muster up your armies and and look at how strong and wise and smart you are, then you'll get what you choose. I'll let you do it on your own. See and, how that works. And and you might have even, you know, no ill intentions with that because I think, you know, especially in North American culture or, or you know, we've, America especially, we've been taught, you know, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. For and, sure. That's a and, huge part uh, of Western culture. Yes. And, uh, you know, we can fix everything. We can do it ourselves, blah, blah, blah. I have always considered myself, a, you know, I, I didn't like group projects. I'm going to do this. Um <laughs> So it's very difficult to let go. Yeah. And then you, then you feel a conviction of, why can't I just let go? Am I, is this happening to me because I'm not letting go? Yeah. Is, you know, and, and it's almost like, is God going to, am I holding on so tight that God is trying to pry this from me with force right. so I just give it to him? And so all this bad junk keeps happening because I'm holding on too tightly. I've wondered that multiple times. Well, I would say that looking at the overwhelming preponderance of Scripture, there's a lot of truth in that. Mm -hmm. When we see what happens, again, if we go back through the history of Israel, go all the way back to Abraham, what's the defining moment in Abraham's life other than the promise of the covenant? Him sacrificing his son. Right. So the the child of the promise... Everything that God has promised to Abraham hinges on Isaac. Mm -hmm. And God says, I want you to take Isaac and sacrifice him. Mm -hmm. Mind-blowing on every level. I mean, we we tend to only think as parents, but it's bigger than just as parents. As a parent, imagine God asking you to sacrifice your son. And yet, isn't that actually what he does? When Jesus says that we need to, by comparison to our love for him, hate our families. That's what he is asking. And so, so much of what we go through is that very thing. God saying, stop, let go of all this. Everything that you have, I gave you anyway. Mm-hmm. And in, in Hebrews, we see the, the, the picture that kind of exposed <clears throat> of Abraham, that it's more than just that God called Abraham to do it, and so Abraham did it. Yes, that. That's the bottom line for everything. His faith was proven by his actions. But we see there that Abraham reckoned, I always love to say reckoned, he he held this in his mind that God could raise the dead. So even if God takes my son from me, God is able to give him back to me. God can do anything. And if God has called me to do this, it must be right even if I don't understand it. Therefore, the best thing that I can do for my son is to release him to God's hands. And if that means I don't get to have him for however long that is, Mm 
I'm going to trust God to handle this. And God's going to bring him back to me when God says it's time. And obviously, as we know, God didn't actually right. have him go through with that because right. that's contrary to everything that God has ever called us to. He, he, God hates child sacrifice. And yet God also, because he sees the big picture, he sees the eternal picture from time immemorial to time. And we now. can't. And we can't. We only think in temporal terms, but God doesn't. And so when God is dealing with our pain now, he knows how we're going to feel about that pain a thousand years from now mm -hmm. when we're with Christ. And that pain isn't even a memory anymore. It's just gone. But all of it is designed to build us in him. So with all of that, and we see what he did there over and over again in Israel, he's breaking them down to build them up because the moment they start to get built up, they start to hang on to their stuff. They start to want to be like everybody else. Right. They, they lose track of that intimacy with God. We see it in the church. I believe wholeheartedly that the persecution that the church has seen over the last 20 centuries has been very much, 20 centuries, yeah, 20, I had to do my math there real quick. Uh, as we've seen this, 21. Yeah, as we've seen all of this play out, it's a continuation of the same pattern that we saw in Israel, that as we right, get full of ourselves, new. God breaks us, as you said, to rip it from our hands until, we'll, until we're willing to let go. And the thing, the situation, the, the suffering, whatever, is of far smaller consequence than the reality of us letting go and trusting him. And that's the, that's the hard thing, I think, for all of us as we, as we wrestle with these things, is it, it, it's just so hard. It, it's not that it's hard to understand. Very little of the Bible's teaching for us is really actually hard to understand. We just don't like it because it hurts and it's heavy and you know we know that every single person is going to die and yet don't we don't our hearts break at every funeral don't we think every time oh this is such a tragedy it's mm -hmm. so terrible how mm -hmm. how hard is this when it's not necessarily a surprise it's i mean not i mean a you know if a, if a, a young sure, person the timing dies of or it or might right, be a surprise right, right. but every person has the same fate all of us are going to go there at whether some you're point. you know 10 or 100 uh, you know. a friend who just buried his father said to me said at some point we all get our turn at the front of the funeral home that's that's true and yet that doesn't make it not hard right. and the same thing is true with all of the suffering that we go through regardless of all of the rest of it it is still difficult it's still hard the simpleness of it is we look at it as cliche or trite but it, it's very practical it's very real it's just hard trust god don't trust yourself trust god Submit everything to him, and he'll take care of it. He'll handle it. He'll straighten it out in the right way that he can see that I can't. If I understand that he knows more than I do, and he has more love than I can conceive, and he has all the power to do all the things, then what's not to trust? That's the logical thing. But my heart still wrestles with that because my flesh wants to keep taking hold of it. I want to keep picking that up. Uh, it, Romans 12, uh, 1 talks about making yourself, in light of God's mercy, making yourself a living sacrifice. One of my favorite lines from my favorite preacher, Chuck Swindoll, is always that the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. Mm -hmm. And then i got to consciously choose to crawl back up on the well, altar. Well, the fact that you, you, know, the, you just said this has been going on for 20 centuries. Yeah. So... 
you know, you'd think we'd learn, but it's just our nature to keep right. doing this. That's and right. and that's frustrating in and of itself. Like, yeah. why can't I just do this? Why can't I just give it up? Why can't I just trust the way I'm supposed to trust? Mm. And why? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the short answer is sin. Yeah, because of that sin that, that each one of us has and that is present in the world around us that ends up creating these situations that that cloud our view. They block us from seeing uh, Christ as he is, seeing God as he is. Those things make it harder and harder for us to, to do it. Our own sinfulness, our own tendency to want to be God rather than to submit to God makes that much harder. So all of the fears that you have about your fears, all of the, the, mm. the rustling, is this happening because I'm holding on too tightly? The answer is almost always yes, mm -hmm. it is. And when I can abandon myself to God, not live foolishly, not, not say, well, I'm just going to lay here on the ground until God picks me up and moves me someplace. Not that. That's not, not the picture that we see in Scripture. But to walk forward, to work diligently, to pray fervently, to, to study voraciously. And as we go forward doing what it is that we have to do, trusting that God's in control, whatever it is. And if I walk through this door and it seems to close, then I'm going to find another door. And I'm going to keep on going through it until God leaves one open for me. Because very often that's how his guidance comes, is we just keep walking, we keep surrendering, and then he, he leads us through that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. He leads us through circumstances that force us into situations that we would never want to go to on our own. Mm -hmm. All for his glory and our ultimate good. Well, I guess that brings me to my next question because, you know, you, you just use the, the imagery of, of, you know, walking through a door and if that closes, go through another door. And, and so at what point am I... Can you tell I'm going through some things because I keep talking about myself? Um, at what point are we? Uh, I guess what's the line for? I I don't think God just you know when we when we go through hard situations is it fair to say that I don't think God just wants us to sit there and twiddle our thumbs? No, no. You know, and I, I would say, say okay, God, God's fix not a every, real big fan everything. of thumb twiddling. That, that's, you I, know, I just sit there and say, that. oh, God's going to fix everything. I don't need to do a single thing. I'm just going to sit here on my hands and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, I would say at times there there are. There are times that the being still and knowing that he is God right. actually involves <clears throat> being still right. and saying, okay, I'm going to be hands off right, right now. Right, and I need to work on that personally. Generally speaking, that comes when we get to a place where we can't logically continue. When we, when mm -hmm. we see, I don't control this. I have to let God control it. But in many areas, I would say Maybe maybe in most areas, maybe I'm overstating it, but it, it seems that in most situations, God gives us an amount of control, an amount of autonomy, mm -hmm. or a, in a limited sense, free will. And you know me well enough to know I'm, I, I think free will is one of the biggest idols that we have in our world. Because we, you're going to say free willy. <laughs> we make ourselves out to be God. Yeah. Because we worship this idea of free will, free will, free will. You know, we get God doesn't make us do anything. Well, actually, He does mm -hmm. if we read the scriptures. But, but aside from that, he, he within the scope of His authority, within within His sovereignty, He somehow chooses to allow us freedom of choice, freedom of action, uh, at least from our side of the curtain. Now, what God does on His side of the curtain is up to Him. 
but we need to act. Uh, another, I remember, again, going back to Chuck Swindoll. I haven't even listened to Chuck Swindoll in several days. I've been listening to a lot of Alistair Begg and, and uh, Mark Dever and uh, Tony Evans lately. But as I think back to so many things that, that Swindoll said that are Swindoll, I get the emphasis wrong sometimes. Uh, as he has shaped my life in so many ways since 79, uh, he... Now I've distracted myself from talking about it. Uh, one of the things that um, that he used to talk about was at some point, stop praying, stop reading your Bible, and get up and get to work. Yeah. You, we need to study the Scripture. We need to pray. But if all we ever do is keep our nose in the book and, and be on our knees before God, at some point God's tapping us on the shoulder saying, hey, I got work for you to do. Get up. There's, there are things that you need to do right now about this. And we see that again over and over in Scripture. Israel is called to be still, and in the very moment, in the same context, be still, here's what I want you to do. Chill. Be still, be still and listen. Right, be still because and listen. Because here's what I want you to do. Chill, understand this isn't about you. You're not winning this battle. But as an exercise of your faith, I want you to march around Jericho seven times. Okay. I want you to smash these bottles and blow these trumpets. I want you to get rid of all your soldiers, take 300 into battle. You're going to make these, these noises and, and everybody, all your enemies going to wipe themselves out. I'm doing this, but I still need you to act. When we cross the Jordan, you carry the ark, and when the priest's feet get wet, that's when the water parts. You don't just sit here and wait. You get into this situation, I'll get you out of it. And that's how he very often works. God, God is active in evangelism in the church. He doesn't need us to be able to win people to himself. <laughs> he created the universe. He created the human race. He doesn't need me. He definitely does not need my help in saving people. But he's called us to act and to make disciples, to go out and witness to people, to share the faith, to see those who are perishing and rescue them. But ultimately, it's His Holy Spirit that does that. His Spirit moves us, calls us to repentance, grants us, to, to use the King James term, uh, He grants us repentance. We can't even repent until God does that work inside of us. I can't make somebody repent. I can't change their heart. And yet, He has called us to partner with Him in that. The same thing happens in our trust element. When we... When we think that the call is to, as you said, twiddle our thumbs, which is not in the scriptures at all, uh, when we think that's our role, it tends to promote more worry because we sit and we stew mm -hmm. and, and we think, oh, when's God going to move this? When's God going to move this? And time, there's, there's a relativity to it. As we are not active, time takes a lot longer. When we are active, time passes much more quickly. So when, when you're super busy, it's like, whoa, where did the time go? I mm -hmm. can't even believe it. If you're sitting in a chair thinking about the time passing, watching the clock. A minute feels like an hour. Absolutely. You're like watching a pot of water boil. It takes forever. If you walk away, then it's like, oh, shoot, I forgot to bother right, about the right. pot of water. Same kind of a thing happens in our faith life. When we pray and we release it to him and surrender to him in that stillness of knowing that he is God, then we get up and obey him and do what we're supposed to be doing, get our eyes off of ourselves, get our eyes off of our circumstances, get our eyes on why we're here, then pretty soon we have forgotten about, at least in the moment, we have forgotten about 
this overwhelming thing that's killing us because our eyes are elsewhere. Our focus is not on the circumstances. Uh, we see that, that Jesus, again, looking in, in, at the book of Hebrews, Jesus, who went to the cross for us, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, because as he was doing this, he, he set all that aside for the glory that was to come. His focus was on the end, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. the means. And so when, when our eyes are on Jesus, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, then the, the things here, the things of earth, the things that are troubling us and plaguing us, become, as it were, strangely dim. Someone should write a song about they that. They should. And so that, that element uh, is, is really huge. I know that we're over time, but I just want to uh, just read this psalm for us. There's so many scriptures that, that we right. want to talk about. Uh, you and I had uh, shared uh, back and forth from Isaiah 41.2 mm -hmm. um, this mm -hmm. morning. And Isaiah 43, I think, is even better because it, it talks to Israel about when you go through this, not if, when you go through this, when you go through the flood, when you go through the fire, I will be with you. It doesn't ever say you're not going to go through this stuff. Just know that I'm here with you. Here's, here's, what, um, here's what the sons of Korah write in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I, I, I get the impression, and I think it's reasonable for us to surmise from this, that when they say, therefore we will not fear, the only reason they're saying that is because of the fear, because right. the fear right. comes up. Of course we're afraid. Of course these things are overwhelming. But we will choose not to fear because God is our refuge and our, and our help. Uh, verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, within the city. She will not fall. God will help her. By the way, it's a verse that's grossly taken out of context and used all over Instagram. But anyway, uh, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. As it talks here about the city, this is a reference to those who belong to God, who, who are His. And in this city of God, there is no possibility that they will be abandoned. They, this city of God, those who belong to Him, will not fall while the nations are in uproar and everyone comes against them. He lifts His voice and the earth melts. Verse 7, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This psalm, I think, helps to encapsulate the stuff that we're talking about, that there is a reality that those who belong to God are always protected by him. Even when it doesn't feel like it, even when the nations rage around us, when everything seems wrong, when we are literally, as we see in Psalm 23, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, 
we don't have a reason to fear the evil, ultimately. It doesn't mean the feelings won't come. The feelings are, are still going to come. But we can consciously choose to take our thoughts captive and remind ourselves, because God is our refuge and strength, I will not fear. And, and doing that requires a, a stillness and a quietness because the, the pain and the suffering and the garbage is so loud yeah. and chaotic and, and takes over every waking thought. Yeah. And so to clear that out or to just be still and push that away and accept that God is there that's, I think, the difficult part. It is so huge and so hard. And I know, I mean, I know this is hard for you even having this conversation because you are, as we mentioned earlier, going through I, this. I right almost now. made it, Rich. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> but, We're overtime. <laughs> but the reality of it is, think of think of what happens in your heart when you get that phone call, when, when things just go dark and, and it's like, what just happened? I thought things were going a good way, and now right. everything has been reversed. Everything is upside down. My life is ending. And it's like there's this this vibration, this twitch through your psyche that you can't right. turn it off. Right. And, and it starts to spin. And I, yes, I trust God. I, I, I want to trust God, but yeah. I just can't right now because everything like somebody is, put these headphones on and everything is really loud. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's like that MRI feeling that I hear about so much. And... That's why God is saying, look, in the midst of all that, be still. Calm your heart down. Slow your thoughts down. Don't not think, but let's slow this down. Organize your thoughts. Remind yourself of the truth of Scripture and who you belong to. And when we get that, then everything comes back into perspective. The circumstances will scream. Yeah. So I we know, have to be still. I, I know we're over time, but just a comment on our live stream. Uh, Amanda said it's difficult to overcome emotion, and that's very true. Absolutely and our emotions are, drive so much. Difficult, but not impossible. Right. And that's where learning how to think biblically changes everything. And, and when Paul says we, we take our thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ, that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Training ourselves to think biblically, to, to take the feelings and say, okay, I recognize those mm -hmm. feelings, but I will not be ruled by them. Right. I'm going to choose to set that aside, to look at what I recognize scripturally as actual truth. And if I line my thoughts up with the truth, then eventually my feelings will begin to line up with reality. Right. Not reality as I perceive it, because that isn't reality, but the actual reality that God sees. And that is a really big deal. Well, we'll stop there because we're way over, but uh, I'm sure that we could have uh, several hours of conversation on this. But uh, Pretty sure. Could have an open forum, there you open go. mic. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's to come. But we will stop there uh, for today. Um, but, you know, dealing with that, if you do have more questions about this particular topic or more comments, feel free to leave them. Um, on Facebook or uh, send an email to something real at reallifeonline.org because it's it is an, we're just open so well, you know just because we've talked about something before doesn't mean it doesn't need to be brought up again so and it doesn't need to use your name you right know, if you if you want your name to be withheld that is not hard for us to do true that but for today we will stop so thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>